Welcome to Sister Brunch with me, Fanchon Cox. And me, Anya Adams. We're back and talking to you about Black Women Plus working in media, entertainment, and the arts. Now, on today's show, we are taking a look back at some of Sister Brunch's most memorable interviews over the past two seasons. First up is our conversation with Amazon Studios Global Head of Diversity, Latasha Gillespie, and Head of Good Robot at Bad Robot, Mickey Woodard. They shared some gems on getting your foot in the door in the entertainment industry, as well as how their work as DEI and social impact leaders has evolved following 2020's Black Lives Matter protests. When I talk to young women, I always tell them, looking back, it makes sense. Going forward, it didn't always. And you have to be open to the opportunity that you might not have thought about, because that's really what guided me this whole way through. You know, I started doing this work over 20 years ago, very long time, uh, at a talent agency, working with their clients. But here's the ironic part of that. One of their clients was J.J. Abrams and Katie McGrath. No. Whoa. So wow. that tells you that sometimes this path is just made for you. And I've just been really, really fortunate to be able to tap into that. And also about the importance of networking and keeping up your network. I always talk to young women about that too. How are you making sure that you stay connected to the people in your life that mattered? So started out at CAA, went over and did some work with influencers like Kanye and Dr. Phil and others, went back to the corporate side and did this for JC Penny, and now I have this amazing opportunity to lead this work for Bad Robot and also for you know the McGrath Family Foundation, along with my colleague who actually runs that uh, entity. So I'm grateful to be here. Oh That's my goodness! Awesome. That's that. Don't burn your bridges, y'all. Don't burn your bridges. And we've said many times on this podcast that when you get opportunities, you need to kick ass. Like you, you need to be somebody that other people ask about later. So, oh my goodness, you started those relationships that long ago. You need to also call the crowd and see who you like and who you want to be connected to. Because sure. when you find those people before they've exploded, you know they're true Amen. selves. Amen. What about you, Latasha? Just like Mickey, also a very crooked path. The only thing that was straight about my path was that it always started with praying for the yes or the yuck. So I actually started off in finance. My my background is finance. I started off in the manufacturing industry. Uh, so very different world than the one I'm currently sitting in. But through that process, every time someone asked me to take on a new opportunity, you know, the first thing I would do was pray for the yes or the yuck. Like, God, is this for me or is it not for me? Right? Because I always want to be in the right place at the right time and never in the wrong place at the wrong time. And if it was a yes, even if it scared me, which most of the time it did, learning to yeah. lean into the yes, learning to lean into the things that absolutely terrified me that I was not qualified for, that I did not have experience in. But it was in those moments is when I learned a lot of new things. It's in those moments when I learned a lot about myself. It's in those moments when I learned how to translate, create fungible skills that worked across multiple industries in multiple countries, and it just served me well. Natasha, what were some things that you did to get yourself comfortable with leaning into the yes? Well, you know, the interesting thing was, and I really do think it has a lot to do with my faith, because I always believe that God has a bigger vision for me than I can have for myself. 
And I always believe that he knows exactly the path to get there. So sometimes when it's uncomfortable for me, I know it's because there's stretch happening, there's growth happening. And if I've already jumped into something because I'm chasing purpose and I, and I really believe it's my next right step, then I know he's got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mickey, can you talk a little bit about you leading social impact, employee engagement, like all of these elements at Bad Robot? Can you talk a little bit about like how the recent year has affected your job? I mean, COVID-19 is probably one that's obviously impacted all of us, but also like the Black Lives Matter um, movement and how you know, it's really kind of been a pervasive kind of experience for all of us, but how it might have changed your work. Absolutely. And I think part of it is beyond or in addition to what it does to our work, it's how we all change personally. Mm -hmm. That's been the biggest lesson for me that no longer are these things separate. It Mm. was so easy for me to compartmentalize my day from my night, my work from my home. And now everything's in the same space and everybody sees it. And mm-hmm. so when <laughs> you are a black woman leading this work, it means that you are working to help people get through the trauma that you're also experiencing. And so what I'm grateful for is that I work at an organization where they've been really thoughtful about that, not just for me, but given me the platform and the support that we need to help all of our employees grapple with a very new reality. And so our work has expanded from social impact, from really looking at what can we do for our community and what can we do for our neighbors to really thinking about who are we? Who are we together? Who are we apart? How do we learn more about each other? How do we support each other? How do we see each other? differently? How do we respect each other? It's been all of those lessons that have translated into programming and support Mm. and all kinds of very specific activations. But the core of it really is about humanity. I got, I, I got to bring this up because I was having this conversation yesterday, doing some social impact work with a theater and the, the directors of the theater are two white women. And we were talking about how for the last year, well-intentioned white people have gotten a little browbeaten and not to say they didn't deserve it, right? But like have gotten a whole lot of focus on like, stop talking, be about it, you know? And I feel like we are now moving into a period where maybe there were times during that where we were like, you know what, we don't need you at all. And I feel like we might be learning, leaning into the period of, ooh, we got to all work this out together. And now we got to figure out how. And I think, you know, Mickey, when I think about what you do, because you are working with two very well-known white folks with money, but who have chosen to do the work with that money. And so are you seeing that kind of shift in any ways or has that always been the case there that they've always been about doing the work? Like did this last year change things drastically? I think both things are true. Mm -hmm. They have always been about doing the work and there's been a lot more give and take in the last year. That's that humanity part where we're really seeing, you know, where our starting points are as you connect to all of this. And also, where are the opportunities? Where are the gaps? There are gaps in every single organization, whether that's Mm -hmm. internally or externally. And this is the time, as you said, to be about it. Mm -hmm. There is no time for excuses. You have to be unequivocal and have your language and your programming and your culture and your mission and your values 
they have to align. And there's a lot of work behind each one of those words. Mm. Latasha, curious about you too. Because I, I mean, look, if any of us work for a major studio or a major production company, we're working directly with white folks with power. Have you seen shifts? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing was like last year was not a surprise to most black people and people of color. Right. These are things we've lived with our entire lives. You know, when we when you mentioned in my bio about the core conference, that was a conference I started in like 2017, right? right. Yeah. Because we knew these things were happening in these communities right. and people couldn't shed that fragility of life when they swiped into our company. Oh, right. Okay. They carried that with them and everything that they did, which mm. is why I felt like there needed to be a conversation about a messy topic at work because it was impacting the way people do work, yes. right? Yeah. And I think with the, with this past year has done with, you know, a pandemic, you know, and a murder and, you know, a global uprising, it has caused all of us to be still just a minute, right? Because what, right. if this isn't new, how did we all miss it before? Because we were off doing our own things, but the pandemic forced us all to be still for a minute and, and, and witness this together. And so it's funny, and I agree with uh, Mickey so much when she talks about the humanity part, because when people say, you know, the Black community must be hurting over this, and I say, how does a human being look at this and not right. regardless of right. race? This is not a Black community problem. This is a humanity problem, mm. right? We should all feel that way. We should all have those sentiments when we see the anti-Asian hate. We should all be feeling mm. that. Right. Okay? And yeah. so I think what this year, this past year has allowed us to do is be very intentional in language and to call a thing a thing, mm. right? That we no longer have to dance around and pacify and sugarcoat things. We can actually call things what they are. We can talk about oppression as it shows up on screen. We can talk about oppression porn. We can talk about how these stereotypes and tropes are actually hurting our ability to see each other as human beings, right? We can we can call a thing a thing. And we can also say, guess what? It's not okay for you to say George Floyd died because he didn't. He didn't have cancer. He wasn't, you know, 100 years old and died of old age. The man was murdered. Mm. Yeah. Right? And so it allowed us to be very intentional about our language and then be very intentional about our actions. So if the man was murdered and we believe that, that it was uh, anti-Black racism specifically, then the solve for that is not going to paint a kindergarten classroom. Right. The solve for that is not tutoring. Right. The solve for that is systems and structures. Mm. Yeah. Power. Funding. That's the solve for that. So it's no longer, you know, we can't keep tickling this thing, right? This is Sister Brunch with Fanchon Cox and Anya Adams. Stay tuned for more of our best of Sister Brunch interviews from our past two seasons. Hi, this is Anya Adams. And Fanchon Cox. You're listening to Sister Brunch. We're taking a look back at some of our most memorable interviews. Next up, we hear from TV writer Felicia Mary. <laughs> we had such a great time with this one. Uh, Felicia is also the creator and co-executive producer of Bigger, the hit comedy series on BET+. Felicia left her successful career in public relations and marketing to attend UCLA's MFA in screenwriting program. And while studying for her MFA, she sold her first pilot to HBO. She tells Sister Brunch how she made the decision to leave her cushy career to take a leap of faith and apply to film school. 
so speaking of dreaming big, at some point you were a little girl somewhere <laughs> in the world. And I was born a little did girl. Did you already have dreams about what you would eventually do? or? How? Um, I think my first dream was to be a bus driver. Oh, Once I got too. past that, after being ignored by every adult, when I would bring that up, um, <laughs> I my first dream was to be an actress. And, ah. you know, television. I grew up, um, I have a, a, a lovely sister that, <laughs> look, this is a hood story. We met later in bring life. And my father's other daughter. Ah, okay. But I was okay. raised an only child. Uh-huh. So the television was my brother, sister, yeah. uh, best friend. Mm. And I just wanted to be the people on the TV. I didn't know people made TV and what that looked like. But... That was my first dream. Wow. Yes. What, then, what were some of your favorite shows? Mm-hmm. Um, Good Times. Yeah. Number one, All in the Family. Um, you know, anything from that vein. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Facts of Life. Uh, yeah. You know, and then, um, you know, getting older, you know, I started to like friends and living single. Mm. Um, you know, I call friends the, the white living single because it is. Um, so I love those <laughs> yes. shows yes. in the 90s Please. and Martin and um, yes. A Different World and. Um, you know, so many, and then you know, as I mature, Sex in the City was a favorite, and yeah. is a, still to this day is is a big inspiration. In I mean, can writing. we just point out that those That's were right. shows where you saw people that looked like you, all yes. you know, even yeah. as far back Absolutely. as we could go, right? And when we were young, and I think about, oh my goodness, what if we hadn't even had those? Oh, right? oh my god, I wouldn't be here. I mean, if it wasn't for. Um, I told Eric Monty, who was co-creator of Good Times yes. and writer of Cooley High, which is one of <gasps> yes, my favorite yes. of all time. Yes. Um, and, you know, he's had a stroke in, in, in later in life, and I was able to meet him at a guild meeting, a WGA meeting, mm-hmm. um, the Committee of Black Writers uh, oh, meeting, cool. and uh, a couple of times. And I told him if he didn't, like, jump that train, because he, like, jumped a train to get here from Chicago. What? And that's how, and part wow. of that story in Cooley High is a preacher's story is his story wow. about wow. being this sort of elevator um young man mm. with these dreams and these gifts and with this gift of writing mm. in the hood you know and then yeah. him escaping like just even knowing the sort of that backstory which I learned later but if he I think I saw his story through his writing mm. um and I just because I lived in Chicago that's good time was in Chicago yes, uh, yes. or about Chicago yes. um so yeah that that was a subtle influence that in retrospect at meeting him as an adult I realized wow I think if it wasn't for you, there, I wouldn't be here right now talking That's to amazing. you. Somebody was on yeah. Twitter talking about um, what are what are black famous people like list black famous people that if you said them to a white person they would never know. Cooley High is one of those examples of a film, yes. that, right? And it's yes. so important, like it's integral to us seeing ourselves and Absolutely. then also us knowing that like because then how did you make the leap from seeing it on a screen to knowing how to do it yourself. Oh yeah, I think it's just, you know, like I said, no, I didn't know that there were, there were writers of the show when I was mm-hmm. watching the show as a right. kid. So at some point, when I just knew I, what I could see are actors, so right. that became my obsession. So in, in undergrad, um, I did study acting. I was I okay. auditioned for the theater program there, got in, studied acting, thought I would do it professionally, but somewhere along the line, I was raised by my great-grandparents. Oh, wow. Um, my parents, um, product of the 60s, kind of, you know, got caught up in drugs and alcohol and unfortunately mm-hmm. weren't able to raise me. And the matriarch of the family actually was my great-grandmother, my mother's wow. grandmother. Wow. Um, and so because of the, like, sort of generational gap, I, I did watch a lot of television to stay current, otherwise mm-hmm. I'd have been out here bad. <laughs> um, but then um, they just let me sort of do me, because they were like, you going to school past eighth grade, is good. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah. just keep going. Yeah. So I had a freedom, but it's interesting <laughs> yeah. that I put these own um, 
Um, I talk. This is we deal with our parents' influences in bigger, but my I didn't have a lot of parental influence. I actually put limitations on myself. Like mm. I'm like, how am I gonna live as an actress? How does wow. that work? And right. and and I got super scared about it. Like mm. at 19, and yeah. I was just like, I can't do that. I need a real job when I get out of here. So I'm gonna I switch to broadcast journalism. Um, not knowing that that's damn near not a real job either. But <laughs> right, it's, right. Oh, I'm on a podcast talking about journalism ain't a real job. But I'm just <laughs> too late to cross journalists, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you. no, I mean yeah. like it. It is you start off low pay, lowly yeah. pay. It's right. a struggle. These are but all at the facts. Least, but so at no, least I like that. No, but yeah. it's true because like the rejection factor isn't there as much as it is for, uh, an, for an actor, actor right? Like you can you can do you can get something. You can find the job. Like I got the internship at a news station, and I you know I it felt tangible to me. It felt like okay, you're getting. A paycheck that I know should be coming every right. two weeks, or so I I did that. That's how that led to you know closely related as PR to journalism. So that's how I mm. got into PR, okay. and so it was like just live this sort of safe life. Like this feels stable. I could not find my space because it wasn't where I was supposed to be. Right, and yes. so I kept running. For, so I would see sets in Chicago and want to cry, mm. like oh, wow. just get emotional. And I was like, oh god, What's that's, so that's not going to go away. <laughs> I would watch the Oscars and have uh, two you know elaborate Oscar parties. <laughs> <laughs> just because I wanted to be there, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, no, I just had this hunger for it, and I realized mm. by my mid-30s, which partially, in, in, you know, inspired the, the idea of bigger in my mid-30s, that's when I sort of hit that early mid-like crisis of, like, I can't do this anymore, I can't fake it, there's nothing I can acquire that will make me happy. It, it felt good to say no and walk away and then, you know, move to L.A. with a roommate of, for, you know, that old. Yes. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it yes. just... Right, how, how, right. So how... Do you... Do you mind saying how I was? Um, I would say this journey started in my mid thirties. Yeah. Mm. Um, so mm. I was pretty up there by the time I was applying to health school. Right. Yeah. Which is a, a, yeah. an awesome thing I yeah. think for our, our listeners yes. to hear. It's like this can happen at any age. Yes. And yes. You're following absolutely. your heart, absolutely. your, your yeah. passion. You're gonna come to it. Being older and coming into the industry, while well, quote unquote older, right? What Hollywood considers older, <laughs> yes. right? Is that you now are bringing all this other experience? I think about Ava, that Ava DuVernay, yes. who was also in PR yes. and marketing and that meant that once she started to be able to tell her stories she knew how to do like she not only told the story but knew how to get people into it I can imagine that helped you in pitching for your pitching, show right certainly. so how all those things people, you did yes. even though Absolutely. you knew they weren't the thing yeah those also fed you Absolutely. for what you eventually did. And I did. had no idea that they would. Yeah. Like, I didn't think about that. At the that. time, I thought like, it was oh. a deficit right. age. I thought it was a deficit. I didn't move mm. out here at 22 and right. started this yeah. career. Yeah. Um, but it actually was a benefit in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, like you said, pitching. I was able to um, like sell um, something in film school, like a pilot yes. in film school, because I was a, and that was my first pitch. I didn't have like reps yet or wow. anything. And that was because I pitched things I hated, like yeah. I don't, not things I didn't care about. <laughs> right, right. PR, but you like, go on. Buy this widget, I don't give a shit about <laughs> Yeah. You know saying? So but you can step into a room and be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I was nervous as hell, but, but like, yes. Yeah. Or I could, I knew how to pull out a story, a story on why something is important. Hi, it's Fanchon, and you're listening to Sister Brunch. We'll be right back, and if you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Sister Brunch. Welcome back to Sister Brunch. We're listening to Felicia Mary tell us why she left a stable career in PR to pursue a career in entertainment. While in film school, Felicia sold her first pilot to HBO. She should be all set, right? 
not so fast. Felicia explains that success isn't always a straight line to the top. I worked in, I basically, right after I saw the pilot, I um, I got a day job for a while when it didn't go. And that, that's another thing what about, did you do? Yeah, what did you um, do? I went back to a P, uh, this was, uh-huh. this felt like backwards like hell. Mm. And I was very in my feelings about it. And I, I'm real honest about it. Yeah. And, and it's a part of bigger, the back and forth of things. Like just because you go out of your dream doesn't mean it's a straight line to the right. top. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Cause I was like, in words, I made it when I sold, you know, the pilot of development course. deal. Yes. Like, I'm yes. like, hey, what? Yeah, what? And then it's like, you know, then, a year later, it's like, oh, it ain't going to uh, be no show, though. <laughs> and the money's Ooh. gone. Yeah. And I'm about to graduate from UCLA. Wow. Oh, I just graduated. Bills. So bills in six months, I'm going to have to pay. Um, so I actually, for about a year and a half, worked at an ad agency doing PR. Okay. Was miserable. No disrespect to the agency. No, I was miserable. No, it wasn't because of the, for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but Did you do stuff at the night? The Lord was on my side the there, too, because they, the, the, the I was like, I'm going to take a low level so I'm not overworked, so sure. I can write at yes. night, all that. So I did like a manager level, didn't even put a VP on my resume so that they would actually don't think I'm overqualified. <laughs> and then like, oh, she, yeah, I'm going to hide out and be like, act like a 20-year-old. This a black woman dumbing herself down. I dumbed I myself it. down, well oh down. God. Like, oh, mm. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, and then that the my boss the boss who created Smart. that unit of PR at this ad agency quit like in like a month or two months she literally moved, just created the thing and they were like you ain't and they were looking at me like, I'm like no show. I'm not doing it I told them I'm not they, how, you know it's bad and when the, you have been refusing promotions right, I'm right, like I'm you, not doing it I don't know nothing I don't know don't look at me I don't know so they hired another person she happened to be black. Oh, okay. she knew okay. um, my dream, okay. and she would let me like go to meetings and like experience will be here, like yes. that kind of thing. She's yes. even younger than me. She didn't even oh. know she was younger than me at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, girl, you're cool, and because uh, she was like a singer too. Like everybody in LA is something else anyway. Yeah, of course. So it was different from being in Chicago and trying yeah. to do that because I would have to disappear for meetings and oh. all this, you know. So I was going on staff meetings. So eventually. I got staffed on 13 Reasons Why. Oh, yes. so that was your yes, first job? Yes, that was my first job. Um, so you worked two years on 13 <laughs> Reasons Why, and yes. now you got your own show? Yes. Girl, you See, are, this is, Thank this you. is, this it's people. the Lord. It's the, it's, the, it's you. It's, it's, I'm just saying, I mean, it's in that. you. What? That. That's, that's yeah, insane. Beautiful. That was a blessing. So, because <laughs> I direct, so yes. I work a lot with showrunners, and I think it's like a skill that you have to learn. Yes. But yes. also, you had such a lot of experience coming up into it. Do you feel like you were able to transition to into it well? Um, I was scared to death. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And um, I definitely, uh, I know some people have this thought, like, you don't need a showrunner as a new creator. Like, you can figure it out. But again, the universe sent me an article right before, like, this show was officially going to be a series and not just a pilot script. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a New York Times article talking about creators being set up. I think it was New York Times. Uh, creators being set up to fail by mm. running their own shows the first season. Oh, and the wow. quote said, um, showrunners are made, not born. And that, to me, was my reinforcement. Because there are plenty of people saying, wow, you can run your own show, you can run. And I'm like, yeah. I just... I'm too new. This is not like intuitive job like that. Right. right. Um, so actually, that on that point, good... can we can we describe because showrunner we use it a lot here, but yeah. it's something I had never heard of obviously before coming to Hollywood. Right. If you hear, you know what a producer is, executive producer. But t- c- tell us what a showrunner is, yes. and then what is a day like uh, a day in the you know life of a showrunner on your show? Sure, they they are the head writer number one. 
So they are the final say on everything. And to be the final say on everything, you have to have been had time in the game, skin in the game to know what won't work and will. Mm-hmm. Like I know this won't work because of X, or I know this is too much dialogue and this will kill our day. Mm-hmm. Or like I won't have that kind of you know with with having been on set for two days in my career as a writer. That, <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? Right. Before this moment. Oh, you, um, just just stop for one second. Yes. As a writer, when you write an episode, you sometimes get to go sometimes, to set but to with, it depends your on the script. show. So on so thirteen reasons why I was why? on someone else's script for two days, okay. but it was someone else's script. Uh, those two seasons, I had only you had two set days. Two days on as set. a staff writer. Staff wow. writer, you may never go on set. Wow. Like, it depends on how you know it flows. Wait, basically. wait, wait. So we, so you wow. had two days on <laughs> set, and then you were the sh- you were Girls show me. running your. Well, own. I was show the running. creator and learning to show run from my showrunner mm-hmm. because gotcha. I said I would like to be paired with a showrunner because that is tip. Yes. Before right now, like it's so many creators and so much content. It was always that, unless you had a lot of time in the game in television, or at least a bit of time in the game in television, I had very little time in the game. Yes. Like, I'm not, yes. and then I saw that article, I'm like, so I was not mistaken. Right. Um, I'm sure, you know, some people would have liked me not to have one, so because they had one less person they had to pay. But I wasn't going to be set up to fail. Right. <laughs> and I, I like, like, and this show wouldn't be that, that show without the yeah. showrunner so because yeah. of his... I just wrenching his resume. Yeah, he also knows pitfalls of comedy and how to run a room. So mm-hmm. also, what a showrunner does is they manage the writers' room because you know you can st- stay stuck on an idea for an hour if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the they keep the room running. They make decisions where we can't decide on what we want to do or mm-hmm. like. Um, they answer to the network. They're the manager of the entire pro- show. Gotcha. Um, and they, don't they do know, a lot in post too? They yeah. They, they are sitting and editing. So I'm yeah. sitting and editing with him. Basically, yeah. I'm literally. Be and he allowed like so there have been lots of stories, and this is where I've had good grace too. A lot of stories about creators and showrunners not getting along, yeah. or showrunners taking over a creator yes. show or making it their own. Or, he was always very good about like this is your vision, this is your show. I'm. Mm-hmm. My job is to help it come to life, yeah. and so and teaching me how to do the thing. Yeah. Um, so that and we have the same sense of humor. That was a magic pairing. Yeah. So um, that's really the job of a showrunner. You know, they hire uh, you know all the lead top people for all the roles okay. um, as it relates to behind the scenes, and then you know we all collectively us and Will Packer pick cast casting. Yes. Um, and so that's a very collaborative. Thank Everything's you. collaborative. Um, but like the writer's room and production really leans heavy on the show. Right? I think it was such a smart idea yeah. for you mm. and choice for you to choose someone to help you. Absolutely. Yes. Because I think it can be, you can get caught up in the allure of Hollywood and be like, oh yeah, they put me, this is my show, it's yeah. going, I need to be I'm going to do it. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then, and no. then you fail because you really don't. And Even though people you've had a great... will eat you alive. Eat you alive if they see that you are weak and you're Absolutely. not capable. Mm. Absolutely, they and will. I didn't want to, uh, you know. devour exactly. You. Thank you so much for listening. This is Friends with me, Anya Adams, and my fabulous co-host Fancy Cox. That was our conversation with Latasha Gillespie, Amazon Studios Global Head of Diversity, Mickey Woodard, Head of Good Robot at Bad Robot, and Felicia Mary, creator and executive producer of Bigger on BET. 
Y'all stay tuned because next week we'll have more of our favorite Sister Brunch interviews. Oh, and also don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Sister Brunch Podcast. And, you know, leave us some comments. Interact with us. We are here to talk to you about this filmmaking industry, the entertainment industry, and media. We'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and comment on our Instagram page as well. We're also on Twitter at Sister Brunch and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sister Brunch Podcast. And while you're there on any of those platforms, let us know what you'd like to know more about or what questions you'd like us to answer. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review our show after the show ends. Our senior producer is Sonata Lee Narcisse. Our show producer is Brittany Turner. Our executive producer is Cristobal and Siabwade. We'd like to acknowledge that the land we record our podcast on is the original land of the Tongva people, for those of us in Los Angeles. Can't wait to see you guys next time.